This is Scott Brown from In the Field on Dead Hand Radio. Hi, Scott. Welcome to Dead Hand Radio. How's it going, Andrew? Thanks for having me. Very good. Thank you. Uh, you send me your bio, and I'd like to go through that a, a, a little bit to... Um, give people a little bit better understanding of who you are and to help me understand better who you are. Uh, in the, um, in the previous segment, we talked a little bit about how you have been miscategorized on occasions, but I'd, I'd really like to get into how your interest in the phenomenon started. And, um, well, as I mentioned, the, the, the beginning of this um, podcast was founded in the, during, you know, founded as a Cold War podcast. And then right. I discovered how closely related it was to the UFO topic. So the reason that you're here today is because of your work in the field, in the field, quote unquote, <laughs> um, and uh, your interest in the topic. So would you just take us back to 1987, a period that was nearing the end of the Cold War? And what were you doing around that time that uh, kind of kicked off your interest in the topic of UFOs? Uh, I, uh, this is back before uh, pre-children. Uh, I had just gotten married to my first wife and uh we had this small apartment on Main Street in the town where I lived. Uh, so uh, she was, on, I was on first shift. She was on second shift. So I happened to be home from work. I dozed off. Um, now, let me just uh, set up a, a, a little uh, disclaimer that uh, I don't, know if this is connected all i know is that my interest grew around this time and because of this event it seems to me there's there's a connection there but i can't really prove it or you know so um so back to that so i i uh i'm home i doze off um i have your classic uh what they call um your your paralyzed sleep there the uh sleep paralysis yes yeah, sleep paralysis uh so uh it's it's classic i sense something in the room i can't move i can open my eyes but i'm facing the back of the couch so my back is facing the room so i'm just looking at the back of the couch and i sense something there um I, I get this sense of dread, like really just not a good feeling at all. And later down the years down the road, I had described it as a fear that I had never felt before with, with, you know, really anything that's ever happened in my life. I never, it was a feeling I never had before. It was very strange. Um, so I snapped out of it after a few minutes, got it, jumped up kind of thought about it a little while and then forgot about it 
And then a couple weeks later, it happened again. Now, this, these two episodes of so-called sleep paralysis had never happened up to that point and have never happened again. It was only those two incidents within that two-week span. And, and that was it. It never happened again. Um, so the second time it happened, uh, I jumped up, turned on all the lights. It, it had already gotten dark out. Um, you know, checked the apartment, walking around, looking at everything. I was like really confused. And when my wife came home from work, um, I said to her, I think this apartment is haunted. And she said, well, why do you think that? So I explained the whole thing to her. And we kind of talked about it a little bit. And then that was it. I, I uh, just kind of really kind of stopped thinking about it. And then uh, a certain amount of time went by and, and I, I kind of flashed back to it, that, that feeling that I had during those episodes. And um, so a, a short period of time went by um, and I had been reading a lot of biographies at the time. And, um, you know, world leaders and illustrators and artists and different biographies of just random people. And I had walked into the bookstore and mistakenly slipped in this biography section was a book called Out There by Howard Blum. He was, a, I think, a Washington Post reporter uh, dealing with a bunch of FBI documents that he had gotten. Um, so I pulled the book out, I looked at it, and that was it. And from that point forward, I refocused like so much energy on this phenomena. And if it was linked to me in some way, or it was linked to these events, which to this day, I can't really prove, but I mean, something spurred that interest into the paranormal. I never had any interest before. I didn't own any books. Um, I was really into like sci-fi films and, you know, horror films and makeup and special effects. And I loved that as a kid, but when it came to the UFO thing, I would occasionally see, you know, an, an older UFO publication or an article somewhere. And I'd say, you know, those people are crazy. They're just making that up, you know, and I never really dealt with it before. And then, uh, like I said, 1987, and that changed everything. So I can't guarantee they're linked, but, you know. What do you think it was in that particular book that you read uh, that made the connection for you? Um, it wasn't actually that book, but as I went on uh, and started to come across different incidents that mirrored things in my own life. Um, uh, there was, there was always this incident as a child where I had disappeared from our home. It was actually two different incidents. And my mother was so stunned by it that when I got older, she used to tell this story and it was written in her little, she had a, a small, uh, 
like a baby, a baby book that she could write notes in about her children. You know, a lot of people keep them. And she wrote this incident in this, this baby diary. Um, so I disappeared from the home. It was, I was three to four years old. Um, I disappeared out of the house when they came downstairs and they found out that I wasn't in the house. The door was dead bolted from the inside. And I was only three or four years old. So they, that's the, one of the things that shocked my mother the most was that she couldn't understand how I had gotten out of the house when the deadbolt was still locked. So they found me a few hours later down the road. Uh, uh, neighbors found me and um, walked me back to my parents. Um, so there was that incident. There was, uh, my father was a police officer at the time. They put out an APB for me. The whole town was looking for me. And then the neighbors finally found me. It happened a second time and they found me at my parents' best friend's house, who was like three or four houses down the street. Um, and so there were certain things in, in a lot of the literature that was mirroring things in my own life. My brother kept having uh, a nightmare as a child, which meant nothing to me until I began to get into this literature where he would see a giant praying mantis looking in the window. And this would happen over and over again. And he, for years, was terrified. And um, he had another dream where he claimed that he came down the stairs, but he didn't walk down the stairs. He floated down the stairwell. And when he came to the downstairs living room, I was in a chair. And his words were, I was in a chair near a bunch of machines and there were men around me with big heads is what he would say. And this nightmare, these nightmares plagued him for a long time until finally they faded away and were forgotten about. And then I brought them up years later when I was doing this research, I brought them up to my brother and we laughed and joked about it. And, uh, you know, he has no interest in the subject at all, <laughs> not in the least bit. So um, the, I think that the, when I began to have uh, events mirrored in the book by other people's events and things that were happening throughout the literature is when I began to kind of make a, a sort of connection, you know, which I say, like I always say, I can't prove it, but there's some weird incidents that happened that seem as though there has been something there the whole time and I just didn't notice it, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's what I got. That's all I got. <laughs> no, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, if you were to look at it with an open mind, it's easy to connect the, the incidents where you became aware of something weird going on in 1987 and uh, the incidents from your childhood that you did don't even have a recollection of, but was documented and recalled by people that knew you well. Right. Yeah. I, um, you know, like I said before, I, I don't, I like to speculate on things, but I don't, 
I'm, I'm very adamant about taking something that I can't prove and saying, this is what happened. You know, there, there's people out there that will, they'll, they'll, they'll get these notions in their head. They get this belief structure built up and then it's just supported constantly with their beliefs, but it's not supported by anything they can prove. I think there's a term for that. And it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's called confirmation bias, where you look at evidence to support your beliefs, but anything outside of that uh, is uh, discounted. Right. I, I think I have heard that. Yeah. And so you're saying that that's not the way you approach this topic. You're more yeah, I can't, looking at it from all angles. Right. I, I don't, you know, I hate to use the word alien. I don't like it at all <laughs> because there's just no proof for that. Um, it, it's, it, I, it's what I like to tell people, you know, is that, and people will constantly ask my opinion. And after 30 plus years of doing this, there's only two things that I'm sure of after all this research and, and searching and cameras and shooting video is that um, there is something out there. There is some intelligence that is interacting with us. And the second thing is that it has some sort of agenda. There's some sort of agenda going on that we just don't understand and those are the two things that I can say for sure that I'm solid on. Whereas anything else is just, it's speculation. I mean, we don't, it could be a technological race that's sending AI here for all we know. We just don't know. And um, so I, I, I sit on that fence all the time. All right. Well, we, we may go uh, down the rabbit hole a little bit and do some speculation. It's always sure. fun to do. Sure. Right? It is. It is fun. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the, um, in the same mindset as you are where, uh, you know, there, there's very little evidence to support other than witness testimony. I mean, there's a mountain of witness testimony, um, but the physical evidence is, is pretty rare. Um, the, the, you know, if you, if you look at, uh, for the government for coming forward with disclosure, I think that that is a, a path of disappointment for most people. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to get I, answers from the government. I tend to agree. <laughs> I, I well, tend I'm glad, to I'm, glad yep. you, you, I'm glad you agree, but l let's go back to, um, the, the, beginning um a little bit and well the the next phase where y you discovered that you have an interest you started to pursue this as uh an area of interest that you were looking into probably mostly on your on your uh, own time outside of work and and so forth but you uh somehow got into the um area of photography and uh, the study of images. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, and, you know, and your professional background? Sure. Um, so uh, started at a young age. 
uh, you know, being a, a visual artist, um, uh, I began to show kind of interest really young. And so my mother was always pushing me. She was, you know, constantly giving me paintbrushes and canvases. And um, she started me in oil painting lessons when I was 12 years old. The, the classroom was filled with 40 something year old women with this 12 year old boy. <laughs> there was no other children in there. There was no, I was the only one. Uh, so a lot of things pushed me in that direction. And then as I got older, um, <clears throat> I went into high school and our high school happened to have one of the best art departments in all of Massachusetts. Uh, we were voted like, I forgot how many years in a row, best art department of a high school. Um, we had our own dark room. We had our own printing room where we printed pamphlets for the school. And I mean, just every facet of the art world was taught in the school. And it was just, for me, it was paradise, like just incredible. I would speak to other kids at other high schools, cousins and friends, and they would say, man, you guys got so much stuff there. We have like one art room and, you know, that's it. And so anyways, uh, I, of course, immersed myself in that in high school. When I got out of high school, uh, there was no way I was going to afford to go to college. So I kind of began to do freelance stuff on the side on my own designing things for local uh, papers and, uh, you know, different things like that. And then in 2004, um, I lost my job at a uh, factory that I had been employed at for 14 years. And my mother worked there, my stepfather worked there, my brother. Um, so due to the NAFTA laws, um, because the factory was taken by a company up in Canada that afforded me to get two years of college paid for. So I was just astounded that this was going to happen, that I was finally going to go to college. I'm in my thirties. Um, you know, so, um, terrifyingly I went to college <laughs> And I was kind of a kind of a screw off in high school, um, you know, graduated by the skin of my butt. Um, so I thought to myself, I had spent all these years working these crummy jobs. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get this degree, you know, and I'm going to change the course of my life. And so I went into a program at a local technical college and they had an entire wing dedicated to digital photography and, you know, uh, typography and um, just all the facets of the commercial art field. Um, and so I went into the program and just loved every minute of it. If I could have stayed there for 10 years, I would have. Um, so this, and in the meantime, on the side, I'm keeping up an interest in the UFO field. So of course, the first time in, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s, I saw somebody using 
one of the early versions of like Photoshop or a graphics program. And he was a friend of mine. He was a local illustrator that did a lot of the game boxes you see for Milton Bradley or Hasbro games. He does all those game boxes, the game boards, he designs them all. And this guy was an idol of mine. I just, anything he touched was just incredible. He was an incredible artist. Um, still doing it. Um, he does a lot of Star Wars stuff now for uh, the different toy companies. Um, so, you know, uh, <clears throat> they kind of just mesh together, um, pulling up images online and, and trying to examine them, you know, and get to the bottom of the details of a photograph, you know, was for me uh, the first few times that I was able to pull something into Photoshop and start looking at it really closely. And, you know, everything just kind of meshed together. It just all came together. And I realized that these tools were essential for me wanting to try to verify this stuff or look for, you know, different flaws or, you know, whatever. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was it. I, I, after that, I, I began to, uh, I use Photoshop for just about everything that I do, uh, whether it's a business card or an illustration. I use the old traditional way of uh, if I design something, I'll usually sketch it first. I scan it into the computer and then I'll build the illustration over the top of it. Um, and so, you know, I've used it to examine, you know, countless photos and images and things that have been sent to me. And um, it, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, I think it's an essential tool to have when you're trying to, to gather that information. You know, in the process of uh, playing with photographs and using them for a commercial uh, venture, you know, I began to realize that, hey, you know, everything's going digital now and photographs are, you, you'd be able to, you know, you can look at like uh, the XF data of a photo and just different things like that. And so it, it just all kind of came together in, in my hobby kind of meshed with my interest in graphic design and photography. And, you know, I, I also became very uh, adept, which was kind of part of my uh, college education was uh, uh, digital photo manipulation. So, you know, I'm sure you know what that is. So if I'm able to take uh, other photos and superimpose them into others and, uh, you know, things along that line. Once I became really, really adept at that and, and uh, being able to pull it off so it was visually, could fool the viewer and think when that happened was, it's actually, uh, Diana Pasoka wrote about part of it in the book. And so I came across a company that said, uh, it was a website that said, um, 
you know, they were asking for somebody to fake a UFO photo to the point where people couldn't tell and have it be, you know, like top notch, fool everybody. And so I did this and I posted this photo. I used a small model that I built. I photographed it against the sky. And then I used Photoshop to take out the line of the fishing line that was holding it. But I shot it in the same light that was used with the sunlight in the actual, everything was shot in one take. All I did was take out the line. So when I did this, um, you know, it was like applauded and they thought it was great. And you can go online now and it's probably on about 10,000 websites as a photo that was taken by a paper boy on his paper route. And he saw this UFO up over the trees. And so this photo got pulled off that site and went around the world. And it's on so many websites, it's ridiculous. And I, I realized at that point that I could never do that again because that's what's going to happen. And so that was also a facet of me learning in ufology that there's just too much of that out there. And, and somebody like me, I could have a thousand news websites come to me a day and say, listen, can you fake this for our next article? I could easily do it, but I won't do it. I just won't do it. So then, um, so you, you continued this through throughout the early 2000s um, until you started the Facebook page? Well, actually what happened was <clears throat> in the early 2000s, I kind of began to drift away. And so I wasn't doing much research, um, you know, wasn't out using the cameras, hunting. Um, and there's an area up here near my home. It's the town over from me. And in this area have been different paranormal events going back to the 60s. And so I did a lot of research in that area, found a bunch of weird stuff, uh, found some, uh, there's been two of the spots within this area where books have been written um, about what went on there. Um, so I had always been fascinated with this area. Um, going up in there, I learned all the trails and the roads by heart and any any uh, outstanding kind of older landmarks and, um, you know, mapped it out on maps and uh, ended up finding a, an Indian village that had been abandoned up there that uh, people weren't allowed to go into um, just, you know, so um, there's a woman who lives on a stretch of road that runs through that area. And her daughter went to school with my daughter. And so one night we had a fire in my backyard and we were all sitting around the fire talking. And my daughter leans over to me and says, um, the, the girl that she went to school with, her name is Timber. And she said, hey, I forgot to tell you, but Timber's mom took a strange photograph of some 
uh, strange object in the sky out there in Warren, which is the town over Warren. And I, my ears perked right up because I had been kind of, like I said, I, I was taking a break. I was just kind of like not really paying attention. And um, I said, you need to get me that photograph. <laughs> I just, I was, I was hell bent on getting a copy of this photo. And um, so come to find out her mother didn't take the photograph, but it was a neighbor that lived right next to them. And she just happens to be an area award-winning photographer. And so when she took this photograph of the sun rising over the hills up there, uh, she was shooting like the sun coming through the tall grass. Beautiful photo. But in the sky was this really weird looking object, like something rushing by. And um, she couldn't explain it. And she was stunned by it. So I get a hold of this photo and uh, look at it. It's quite interesting. Um, and that started me back up again. And so I jumped in, uh, started meeting people online, started realizing that there were people uh, shooting with the, the infrared and the FLIR cameras and people scattered all over the place doing this. And I said, I want to try to bring all these people together so we can look at this stuff and maybe talk about it, look for patterns, you know, that type of thing, scrutinize each other's footage. Um, and I had been just enthralled with this book about Dr. Harley Rutledge. And he wrote a book uh, back in the 60s, 70s, uh, called Project Identification. And he was a professor of physics uh, that had got turned onto this flap that was happening down in Missouri. Um, and he, uh, he went out there with teams of college kids, uh, the best equipment they could get at the time. And they documented this flap that had gone on for a while. And it changed his whole world. It turned into the book Project Identification. And I thought to myself, man, with the equipment we have today and the people we could pull together with a giant network online, we could do this in so much of a more sophisticated, better way today than he could have ever thought of. So he was an idol of mine. So that was kind of one of the inspirations behind me creating in the field. Cool. Um, so did, do you live near the Hudson Valley? Um, no, I'm in central Massachusetts. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. When you said that there's a, a lot of activity in the area, I knew that you were in the, on the East coast mm -hmm. and I just, my, my, I, I just dropped an episode where I talked with a scientist who studies the paranormal and UFOs up in that area around the Hudson Valley. Yeah. So, yeah. It's another fascinating area up here on the East coast. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Um, now with, um, with the, the, with your background and your, uh, 
your interest in bringing people together, you know, to examine these photos, have you ever thought about doing an online like instruction, instructional video to uh, explain to people how you, uh, how you examine photos and so that more people can become skilled at doing it? I have. And I, um, I actually just posted the trailer of a, a show that I'm trying to create for YouTube. Uh, I posted it on my Twitter page. You probably saw it. Um, it's pinned on my Twitter page. It's the, all it is, is the opening sequence of the show, but I want to include in the show. Um, so I was inspired by this guy from Canada. His name was Darren Crapo. And he had a show called the alien UFO planet. And you can find the older episodes. And I was on two of the episodes with him and he did this great show where he had people uh, email him footage, photographs, eyewitness accounts, and then he'd go over them on the show and he'd let people make their own opinion. You know, what do you think it is? And he'd zoom in on it and he'd, you know, really show it to the audience really well. So he's kind of petered out. Um, he had some things go on in his family. Um, he's involved with, uh, law enforcement up in Canada and he had some health issues and he's kind of fallen off. So the show really kind of doesn't exist anymore. He'll still do like a, he'll show a map. He'll show the, the images, but there's no talking, there's no interviews. So I kind of want to create a show where people can send this stuff in for me to look at. Um, and one section on the show, I was going to have each month, you know, tips for trying to hunt with cameras, what to look for, um, you know, that type of thing. So I'm still working on the whole idea. It's just starting to come together. So hopefully I can get it up and running like when the new year comes. I, I recently went up to Area 51 and, you know, you can't go to if you could go to the front gate or the back gate, but that's still 20 miles away from the base. So you're not going to see anything at those gates. Right. But we, uh, me and my wife and a, a, a local MUFON member went up to the black mailbox where Bob Lazar took his, took some friends of his back in the nineties, eighties. Right. Yep. And we were out there. Didn't see anything spectacular though. We did see Starlink and that, is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. If you've never seen it, that's, that's not, a pretty impressive. I've never seen it, but it it's, looks pretty wild. Yeah, it is. And uh, we went out there, froze our butts off for uh, about four <laughs> hours. Yeah, it was wow. cold. Wow. And, and then the moon came up. Um, so the moon just, yeah, I mean, it would have been a great night for doing some night photography. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it just ruined our view of the base the, the area 51 base. Right. So, you know, prior to that, we were seeing some weird lights zooming around out there. Um, not really, it, they were planes. I mean, they were easily explained as planes, mm -hmm. but to have a resource online that uh, someone could go to and really understand what you're looking for and how to capture what you're looking at. 
uh, using the equipment that's available. And then what is the best equipment that's available? What is kind of a mid-range uh, type of equipment you could get? And if you just have no budget, what kind right. of equipment? So, so stuff like that is a, a, uh, incredibly valuable to the search for answers in this area. Yeah, there, there's people that will come into the group and they'll ask right off the bat, you know, what, 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 what equipment should I get? And, you know, where should I go? And, you know, so there'll, there'll be a few of us, you know, we'll throw them a couple ideas. Like, you know, the psionics cameras right now are getting real popular. Everybody's getting them. Um, the color night vision. So, uh, you know, that's. The, oh, you, you, I, I saw a video that you posted. I think you have one of those, don't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I saw a video that you posted that was pretty yeah. good a while back. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, it's 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 amazing when we first found out about the color night vision. Uh, and it doesn't really work the same way as night vision. There's no illuminator light that shoots out of it to to infrared beam to light things up it doesn't work that way it's kind of a more of a a light amplification camera so it takes whatever's lights there and it kind of amplifies it so um but it's it's really an incredible camera when you're out at night it's just i mean it picks up some of the the most faint shooting stars that you would never see with your eye but with the camera they're like it's like I see them constantly, constantly. It's incredible. So, yeah, that that would be a, a an extremely valuable channel to to put out there for people. Yeah, and, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make it happen, and and um, you know, definitely, uh, I I'd like to create a network of people that maybe would wanna help out, like you said, or contribute, or you know. Um, you know, because I'm thinking it'll be like something like a bi-monthly show, maybe twice a month. You know, because I'd, I'd like to do more than one show per month, you know, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, cool. Um, have you heard of Skyhub? Are you familiar with what they, yeah. they're doing? Yes. That's another uh, resource that I think people could really. Um, yes, they're, they're, uh, I, I like the whole idea of the whole thing they're they're uh it's it's good if you can get the equipment into people's hands and and let them just you know see if they can freewheel it i mean i'm always telling people that you know if you're bored and you're doing nothing you know take your camera and shoot a bunch of random pictures at the sky and just go look at them pull them up on the computer. There's a photograph in Diana's book. If you've seen it, that I took. I've got the audio version, so I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a photograph that I shot in October of 2013. Uh, it's this disc shaped object with kind of rounded edges that doesn't come to a point. It's they're rounded it's a, I can send you a copy of it. Um, they, uh, so how I captured this is um, we have different versions of what we call sky fishing. And this version was one where I set my camera on a tripod. I pointed at a certain location in the sky and just randomly 
rapid fire off shots. Um, and so sometimes I can take literally hundreds of photographs and not get anything. There's just nothing there. Spend hours looking at them, seeing if there's anything in there, nothing there. So one day I happened to take this sequence. It was overcast, the sky was gray, and it was a sequence of approximately 37 photographs that I had rapid fired off. And in the middle of these sequence, this sequence was this one photograph with this object floating above the tree. And so I've never been able to explain it. I've never been able to, um, you know, uh, I'll have people go online and say, oh, it's just a balloon. But the problem with it being a balloon is the photos were taken a fraction of a second apart. So if the it was a balloon, there would have been a sequence of balloon shots and not just one. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the weirdest captures I ever made in a photograph. Um, was it, was it daytime or nighttime? Daytime. So it couldn't have been a bug because you obviously had your shutter speed set too high to capture uh, yeah, a, no. a streak of a bug. And actually it was, uh, October and very cold. So, oh, so there's very little, if yeah. any bugs at all. Yeah. So we'll, that's interesting. We'll have, she ended up putting it in the book. It's in the book. Did you capture it at high enough resolution to zoom in on it and see any detail? Yes. The actual photograph is, uh, I almost missed it, but I'll usually kind of, I'll zoom in just a little bit. And then I'll scan the sky to see if there's anything there. And when I went in a little and I started scanning past the tree, I saw there was something there, zoomed in and on it even more. And I was just blown away. I was like, and I, I'm trying to rack my brain, come up with something that could cover it. Um, something blowing in the sky, something blowing in the wind. And, you know, it just doesn't match anything. I mean, I can show it to you and, and it's just, it doesn't even make sense. So, yeah, I would love to see that. Uh, I, I, you know, short of going out and buying the print version of her book, I don't know. Is it available online anywhere? Yeah, it's on my blog. Okay. It's on the In the Field blog. And Is that in the field.com? It's, uh, uh, I think the, well, I did it free on the uh, Weebly site. So I think Weebly has okay. somehow worked into the, but if yeah. you put Scott Brown slash UFO into Google, it'll come up. Okay. And there's a page on there that has it. Uh, so after launching the Facebook group, did you have, <clears throat> did you find that it was uh, pretty well received or did you get a lot of critics or what, how, how did it help you and how did it hinder you? to have that Facebook group out there. So I, it was, there was, you know, some, some bumps in the road in the beginning. Um, I had a lot of people coming in there. You know, one of the main reasons to have it was that I had belonged to a dozen other uh, Facebook groups that were just filled with the most horrendous garbage out there. 
And I thought to myself, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to be able to allow people to put that in there because it's just, it's a credibility buster. I mean, I just, you know, just everything that's on the internet was like, it was, it was appalling. So I, um, I stated clearly in the beginning that, you know, uh, we would have a list come out every year, which is posted pinned to the top of the group. Um, that's a list of sites that are either CGI, they put out false information. Um, it's a mixture of both. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's other guys out there that I won't mention. Their websites are filled with misidentifications, um, you know, just things like that. So as time went on, I realized that I couldn't just let in your average Joe uh, because they didn't understand the people that were in there that had been doing it for a long time. And they were used to the internet rubbish. And so um, in the beginning, I had it open so friends could add their own friends. And it jumped up to, uh, I think it was up over like 4,000 members. And I had to babysit this thing 24-7. It was just people kept posting stuff and then, of course, you had your guy that was pissed that you deleted his post. And so I whittled the whole thing down again and kept all the core members. And we began again. But now it's hovers around 700 members and we keep it. And if I think it's someone that's, um, you know, a reliable researcher, somebody that's grounded, that's got their feet on the ground, you know, that's not buying into all the UFO dogma, um, then, then I'll let them in. But it, it's, I have another administrator from Canada. He's been with me since the beginning. He knows exactly what the group's about. And so he, uh, his name's Mario. He's a fantastic guy. And he's, uh, you know, he takes care of it when I'm not around. So checking out your website while you were talking just so I could get some, some references, but it looks like your, your web address is in the, in the field, 2017.weebly.com. Yes. Does that sound correct? Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I want to give people an opportunity to find the website uh, as well as the, the Facebook page. The Facebook page is easier to find and that's in the field on Facebook. Yes, they could just do a search on your name or in the field on Facebook and find you. Yeah, see, there's it's it's hard for some people to find because I think because UFO is not in the title, so that's why. So a lot of times people will contact me; they'll say, "Hey, I can't find it on Facebook because they're typing in UFO," right? And the group is called In the Field. It's not called you know UFO Disclosure or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we'll, we'll talk about your documentary a little bit in depth, but before we do, let's talk about how people have kind of miscategorized your work. Uh, and you've been called a debunker at times. 
how has that affected your work, if at all? Well, um, I, I guess I could say it, that it's, it's affected it somewhat. Um, I, I've gotten like some serious threats online. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the chapter that's in Diana's book about me opens with a guy threatening me <laughs> because she saw, you know, what was going on. And, and, uh, so she asked me as she was writing the book that if she could open it with, you know, about me being hated online. And, and, uh, I said, sure. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's part of what I do. So, um, and the thing is, I try to take, uh, I try to take a, a kind of subdued approach when I approach people and say, listen, you know, um, you can't take a photograph like that. You can't point a camera into a bright light source. It's going to create a lens flare and that's a lens flare. And, and if you don't believe me, take a camera out to say a Walmart parking lot and shoot and catch that tall light in the parking lot, but shoot it against the dark sky and, and see what happens, you know, just prove it to yourself. But these are camera anomalies that are created all the time by cameras. Um, or the guy that says, Hey, you know, I got this footage and it's incredible. And I look at it and it's Chinese lanterns and they're burning up in the atmosphere and falling apart. And, uh, you know, when someone becomes so entrenched in the idea that they have captured some kind of anomalous object or behavior, um, and you point out a different, uh, you know, a different conclusion. Um, some people react very, very badly. <laughs> they just don't like it. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've had people threaten me online. I've gotten private messages telling me they're going to come to my house and kill me. And, you know, I mean, usually when that happens, I will screen capture what they say and I'll put it out for the public to see. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just to have it on record in case something happens. Um, I haven't come across that a lot in uh, the last couple years. It's kind of died down. Um, but, you know, it's like, uh, okay, here's an example. I had this, uh, I had this one woman that came to me and she said, listen, my husband and I were driving and we saw this object out over the river, broad daylight, off of a bridge and so we stopped the vehicle and got out and he took a picture of this object over the river she sent me the photograph i looked at the photo and i said to her are you sure you weren't in the vehicle when you took this picture because it looks like it was taken behind a window and it's the actual flash of the cell phone on the window superimposed on the sky. And she said, no, 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 we got out of the car. We took it from the side of the bridge. So I began to look at the photo more closely. And when I got down into the left corner, 
you could see the small words that are written on a mirror to a vehicle that were reflecting onto the glass of the window. And you could see that they were, that she was behind a window and it was obvious. And I blew it up and I sent it to her. Went, she, she went off the deep end, <laughs> called me a lot of names and, uh, you know, and, and that was about it. She left the group and I never heard from her again, but I mean, you know, it's times like that are, 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 it's disappointing. It's disappointing. I, I, I just want to try to maybe help out, maybe educate people um, on what to look for, what not to do. Um, and in my, in, in the field, I have what I call uh, an educational album. And what it is, is graphics that I've made over the years. Uh, there's a hundred something of them. And it will give examples of every different kind of anomaly. It's a mistaken anomaly. It, there are things to educate people to show them this is how this is created. You know, this is how, you know, and, and when I come across different examples, like for instance, um, there's a big one with uh, infrared night vision cameras that will catch the webbing of insects and it will create anomalies on the film. For instance, uh, a deer coming up in front of a trail cam, but over the deer's head, there's like three or four small balls of light right in a row floating and moving around and it's insect webbing caught on the camera. And this has been looked at it as an anomaly for years and years. And the only reason that I came to the conclusion of the webbing was that I shot it myself and I knew that it was webbing. And, um, you know, so um, back to your original question, um, it, it's definitely disappointing when that happens. I would rather have the person say, Hey, you know what? You could possibly be right, you know, and, and, you know, kind of come to a middle of the road. Um, usually it's not like that. Usually it's, it's quite negative. Uh, the person gets mad because they want to have an image of a UFO, you know, or a ghost or whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, I, I deal with it. I don't really, I, don't like to start wars with trolls online because it's just not worth it. But, um, you know, I, I, I just deal with it and I move on. Um, it's definitely hardened me up, I guess you could say, made me have a thicker skin online. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I was just wondering if it had ever like been a source of discouragement for you to, you know, to see that people, um, it wants so badly to believe that they will discount the, the, the experience and the knowledge that you bring to the conversation. And, you know, they completely discount what you have to say. It, has that ever been like a source of, of discouragement for you? Or do you just like, man, you know, that's, that's their bag. I, don't, I, I, I just think that it comes with the territory, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like, um, I'm kind of the same way with anything else. So, 
So I'll give you an example. Um, so my niece had posted a link on Facebook last year. This link was from Disney World and said that if you reshare this link, you'll be in the running for a, a prize of tickets and a hotel all paid for. And so I clicked on the page. The page was created the day before. So that was the first red flag. The second red flag is it didn't have the official checkmark circle next to the name of Disney World. So that told me right there that it was fake. And, um, but my niece is a teacher. So I kind of had to be a little bit, you know, subdued when I approached her, you know, and said, listen, uh, that's a fake link, you know, and uh, it, it, it is discouraging sometimes, especially when you see people that you know, are they're not stupid. There's a lot of people out there, they're not stupid. They have PhDs, they, you know, but they'll post something that is blatantly fake and they don't look it up. And so it's become it's made me much more vigilant and um, but you know, back to that, it's, it, it is sometimes discouraging to see that, yeah. you know? Well, just, you know, I guess it would be consolation to know that the work that you do is appreciated by a growing number of people. It's recognized by, by people that take the, the subject seriously and are not looking had it as a, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to um, pass judgment on anybody, but the the people that you appeal to, um, the people that are r- respectful and appreciative of your work, they're not looking for personal gain; they're looking for true answers, mm-hmm. and you know, those are the people that. Um, I guess when you have a moment of, of discouragement from the masses of people that discount your work, you go back to that core group of people that um, respect and appreciate the work that you do just to keep you going. Is that pretty much correct? Yeah. I, um, you know, there's been times where I wanted to step away and shut the whole thing down and, it comes up every so often. And, and uh, recently I thought about shutting down in the field on Facebook and staying on Twitter. Um, and, you know, it was just kind of for non-participation. Like in, in the old days, we, we would have discussions about a piece of footage, you know, with 20 or 30 people throwing in their comments and and we'd say you know well and they'd be adding to this and you know well what about this and this guy lives over here and you know just conversation about what was going on and it's kind of died down a lot in the last couple years and i i thought to myself well you know what maybe i'll just shut down in the field and just stay on twitter and so i suggested this uh, a few days ago and uh the amount of support that I got was like, just blew me away. Like I didn't think anybody was really listening, 
you know, and uh, I don't know how many comments I got on there for people telling me, you know, just keep it going. Don't shut it down. This is the place I go to, you know, and I thought to myself, man, that, that just kind of blew me away. You know, I, I, I never realized really that many people were listening, you know, so uh, I'm going to keep the Facebook page up and uh, I'm going to start uh, trying to see if I can put more regular content in there, you know, uh, weekly content. And because uh, apparently there's a lot of people listening. So that's good. <laughs> so I, that's good. To I, hear. I, I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that. Well, I'm going to uh, send you a link to this when it goes live so you could share it in that group. And then right. the group can hear firsthand from your lips to their ears how right. much you appreciate them. I'm a yeah, member right. of the group too. And I, I saw you post that um, that comment that you were talking about. And I instantly went in there and... and <laughs> I know. I was like... Don't do that, man. <laughs> you just got there, you know? Yeah, right. And I was... I, I just was like, holy crap. You know, I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, everybody was just like pushing me, you know, not to do it. And I said, damn, I, I didn't think anybody was listening at all, you know? So that is cool. That is cool. When you get that outpouring of support. Yeah. And those it, are the people where, you know, you, you look to for that source of motivation or, you know, to keep you going when you get to those, those moments of the, the low times. Yeah. It's inspiring. Yeah. You know? Um, let's talk a little bit about the documentary. Uh, I haven't had a chance to see it. I didn't even know it was out there, but I'm going to check it out, uh, real soon. Yeah. A lot of people don't really know it's out there. I posted it a few times and every so often somebody will say, Hey, can you post that documentary? So, um, so I decided to, um, just kind of tell my early story, um, on video and i had this friend of mine a good close friend he was uh he's kind of been involved here and there um he's not like deep deep into it like i am but he's you know every so often he'll get involved and um i asked him i said hey would you want to uh you know would you want to sit in and interview me for this documentary so i can throw this all together because people are asking me questions and i kind of want to get it down on video so that was it we uh you know talked a little bit about what we were going to do uh we sat down i told him different things i wanted him to touch on and we sat down we filmed it and then i edited it and threw in a bunch of uh images that I've shot, um, you know, uh, different things about my childhood. Um, and, um, the, the whole point of the documentary was based on what made me do what I do, what made me, what made the course of my life take a complete different direction when all of this happened. And for me to, you know, because in the first couple of years, I probably spent, I don't know how many thousands of dollars on Amazon buying books, like nonstop. And I'd be going through these books. I'd, I'd read a, a thick paperback book in 
four or five days and they have to have another one. <laughs> it was just, it was just nonstop. I couldn't get enough information about the phenomena. Um, and of course, as I went on, I learned who, you know, who was on the up and up and who wasn't. And uh, yeah, the documentary was, um, was something that I really needed to do. Um, it's, some of it's in Diana's book, but the documentary goes more in depth and I'm telling the story. And uh, then of course it's interspliced with images and footage that I've taken. So um, kind of just wanted to put it out there and let people know, you know, this is what I'm about. This is what happened. Um, did these incidents affect me in some way? Not really sure. Um, I, uh, it feels like it, but I'm not really sure, you know, so, um, there you have it. It was self-produced, self-edited. Um, and it's available on YouTube for free. Is that correct? Yes. It's on my YouTube channel. I'll put a link in the show notes for this. Uh, have you had any sightings other than what you've captured on camera? Have you had any sightings that you've seen firsthand face to face with, with the phenomena? So um, there's been a couple really, a couple times that stand out strongly. Other times it's been kind of like, um, peripheral vision like I've seen something out of the corner of my eye but when I look it's there's not really anything there and of course your eyes can play tricks on you and um, there's a whole host of paranormal phenomena that's been around me since an early age but I never put it all together until I started to get into the research and I still, the, the connections are, are, you know, they're, it's, it's, I can't prove it. So um, to give you an example, um, there was this one day where uh, this was back in the early nineties. Um, I had moved from where I was, during the sleep paralysis incidents into a home. My wife and I had bought a home and we had moved in. Um, she was pregnant with our first child. She was gone somewhere. Uh, I can't remember shopping or something. I had my best friend over broad daylight, sunny day out. We're standing in the kitchen and something or someone rapped on the door three times really hard like so hard that it made me angry like they were going to break the window and so i i was shocked and i i reached over i was maybe 10 feet from the door opened the door nobody there so i said it's some kid playing a prank ran down the steps probably it's a four steps there's nowhere to hide there was nobody there and uh, my best friend who was kind of, he was always over my shoulder with the paranormal. 
but he never really got into it. You know, every so often he'd ask me a question or he'd be interested, but he freaked out and he took off and left. He got in his car and he left. He, he was just, it made him so nervous and it made the hair stand up on my neck. But I mean, I, there's always been those incidents with stuff like that, with, uh, uh, sighting wise, um, when my daughter was born from my second wife, who was, it's was somewhere around, I'd say 2007, uh, I had stepped out on the porch of, we, we lived in an apartment building with uh, three apartments side by side, big place. We had an upper and a lower floor. And I stepped out on the step broad daylight and I'm always scanning the sky. So I'll throw on sunglasses and I'll just constantly look at the sky all the time. Whenever I get the free time, I'm always looking. And um, I happened to look up and saw this grayish silver ball, not reflecting the light, like kind of muted gray move from one cloud into another and disappear. I just saw it for a second. And so I kept watching, kept watching. And I saw it again, appear farther over on this larger cloud, came out again so I could just see it for a second. And then it went back into the cloud again. And that was a broad daylight setting, which I would have loved to get on video. But of course, you know, you can't always have that. Um, the stuff that I shoot is usually um, from surveillance. It's not so much, you know, oh my God, there's a UFO, turn my camera on. It's surveillance of the area, of the sky, set up the camera, let it run. Whatever I catch, I catch. I take the footage back go through it meticulously, slow it down. Sometimes I've actually almost missed something because it's moving so fast that if I didn't slow it down, I would have never saw it. Um, I have one clip on my uh, YouTube channel that was caught that way. And it's just, I have no idea what it is. Um, some people say, oh, it's just a shooting star. The problem with that theory is, though, it's you can't see it with the naked eye because it's moving so fast. So I can see shooting stars with my eye. <laughs> so I put kind of a comparison on there to show what shooting stars look like to compared to what this looks like. Um, but, yeah, I've only had a few, you know, they're here and there. Um, I've seen some strange stuff. Um, I've had uh, just a few years ago had an incident where there was some sort of presence in my bedroom and I had awoken to sensing that something was moving near me. And so I sat up out of a dead sleep, swung my legs out over the side of the bed and sat there 
And as I turned and looked, there was like this silhouette shape of something moving out of the bedroom, out into the hallway. And so I stood up and I went right after it. And in my head, I was thinking, it's either my daughter or my stepson. They were in our room for some reason. Maybe they were trying to wake us up. I don't know. I got out to the hallway. The moon was shining through the window on the upper floor. So it was creating the shape of the window in light on the wall. And as this, as I rounded the corner, this silhouette moved in front of that and like blocked that whole light out just for a second and went down the hallway. And so I thought it's gotta be my daughter or my stepson. So I flipped on the hallway light. There was nothing there. The door to his room was partially open. I went in there, he's sound asleep. I went into my daughter's room, sound asleep. So I thought something maybe passed in front of the window outside to block out the moonlight. But it still wouldn't explain like the dark figure moving away from the bed because it wouldn't have explained that. But at that point, I was just grasping at anything I could get my hands on that was rational. And I looked out the window and the, it was a, almost a full moon, bright, nothing in front of it. There was no way to block it. So I said, well, that's pretty much rules that out. Um, but, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it, there's, there's always something weird happening. Um, I try to write them down, um, you know, just try to document them. And, you know, I mean, there's a saying in, in ufology that um, people like to use, and they usually say, uh, uh, when you become aware of the phenomena, the phenomena becomes aware of you. And, and a lot of researchers will have this, uh, uh, there's a name for it, the, the high strangeness, they call it that will be around people who get into this subject and they'll have these weird events happen. And uh, I can't say that I'm not in that club, you know? <laughs> just... the, the, some of the people that I've talked to that have come from very uh, pragmatic, um, very disciplined backgrounds, um, when they go down that path, they start to experience stuff for themselves as well. Yeah. And so it's, it's not uncommon, I guess. Right. Um, right. Uh, so I, I would like to get into the realm of a little bit of speculation. Sure. And, and because I've, I've talked to several people who have a, a belief or a theory that the paranormal spirits, ghosts, psychic abilities is somehow connected to the UFO phenomenon. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts on that area? I am definitely in that camp. And then I think that, um, I think a lot of the things that happen within this so-called paranormal, paranormal realm um, are interconnected. Um, you know, you've got cases where 
as children, uh, these kids saw these uh, ghosts come into their room when they were small. And then the child grows up and becomes an adult and says, wait a minute, those weren't ghosts. It was like something else, you know, or, um, you know, the, the, the paranormal phenomena that has gone on around people who claim to have been abducted. Um, and a, a lot of it, a lot of the, uh, throughout the literature, a lot of the characteristics and the behavior in paranormal realms, it's kind of all tied together. Some of the stuff is like identical to, uh, you know, like Diana talks about in her book, the um, the uh, the nun there that that sees the the angel, the so-called angel, and it pierces her with this some kind of device and. Um, you know, this person interprets it as this was an angel. <clears throat> they were they were uh, helping me with guiding me to the Holy Spirit or or whatever they were doing. And in the meantime, somebody else who's into uh, you know UFOs and aliens, well, they're looking at it as wait a minute, that sounds like you know an alien was using some device on this woman, and you know. And everything is so tied together. And, and so my, my thoughts are that I don't think that it's all the same phenomena. I think it could be several different facets of phenomena that kind of overlap. And... Um, you know, I, early on, I did a lot of research into like, uh, the EVPs trying to get the, the voices, uh, recorded from the dead and, um, you know, capturing spirits on film and, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of luck with that. I mean, a lot of times I would capture orbs, but through experimentation, I found that most orbs were dust, water particles, uh, you know, things like that. And don't get me wrong, they're all not that. And there are some that have been captured that kind of can't be categorized as that. But um, I do think that there's a huge overlap that paranormal events and... Um, you know, UFOs and... and that type of thing, all of that has overlaps and coincidences and synchronicities and um, could all be tied together. I mean, we just, it, it could be all happening and it's just not for us to see. We're, we're not able to see it and our eyes won't pick it up, but there's things going on there that we would find just mind-blowing if we actually could see it but we don't see it for a reason you know so that's yeah. that's how i feel i've been listening to interviews with tim mcmillan the uh retired police officer who's turned ufo investigator are you familiar with his work his writings yeah he does good work yeah 
And he's, he's recently been saying that exactly what you're saying right there, that uh, the human brain is, um, it's not equipped to see everything that's, that can be seen. And there's some evidence to support that because according to him, a thousand years ago or so, two, 2000 years ago, maybe humans, there was no record of the mention of the word blue. So his, his uh, conclusion was that humans didn't see the color blue and something changed. And then humans started to now see the color blue and it's become part of our, our uh, language. Right. So if you don't see something, it doesn't really exist. And that's not quite true is, is what the, what my conclusion of that is. Mm-hmm. There, there are things out there that we cannot observe with the human eye. And if, even if the human eye did see it and it communicates that information to the brain, the brain is not, is not equipped to handle uh, it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's so much going on out there and for people to, try to dismiss that as fantasy or hallucination Mm -hmm. that's just doing a disservice to to you know to the world scientists and there are a growing group of scientists i talked with one of them recently but there and and there's a there's actually a group called i want to promote this group because they're doing some really serious work and it's important work in this field of study the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. Absolutely. You've heard of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rich is, uh, he's on the board for them, Rich Hoffman, and he's a a member of it in the field. Okay, great. Yeah, those guys are top-notch, and they're all, you know, they do damn good work. They're meticulous, and uh, some of the papers they've written, I mean, I'd promote them any day of the week. They, yes. they definitely got their got their stuff together. Yeah, I'm I'm all about bringing the awareness uh, level of of people like that uh, to the forefront because you know they're they're doing in their areas of study. These are scientists that are putting their reputation and their careers on the line to bring this stuff out to the public, and to me, that's groundbreaking. And that kind of groundbreaking work, it needs to get more attention. Yes. How did Diana Pasolka hear about your your work and your experiences? Um, so she, um, I, I and I can't, uh, I don't know exactly who the person was that directed her to me. Um, there was a few people online that had known her. Um, so she requested to come in the group. Um, and I usually, I'll usually scan somebody's profile and see if they're a couple of different things. If they're friends with people in the community, um, if there's some kind of interest that I can see that they're actually interested in this subject. Um, and so she kind of met that criteria. So I let her in. Uh, in the meantime, a couple months went by and my one of my friends in the group 
messaged me and he said, do you even know who she is? And I said, no. And they, he said, well, take a look at the, at go to Google and put her name in and check her out, you know? So I did. And I looked at a bunch of her backgrounds, saw that she was professor of religion. And so I thought automatically, um, she's got an interest like I did in the ancient religions, how they may have been sparked by this phenomena. Uh, you know, people seeing things they couldn't understand and it was born into a religion. Um, and so we kind of began to talk a little bit here and there, you know, I asked her a couple of questions. So one day she says, um, I'm writing a book and I want to feature you in the book if that's okay. And I said, sure you know I, i'm game i mean she uh her credentials seemed phenomenal you know and she seemed like she was grounded she wasn't somebody that had been immersed in the ufological circus for the last 20 years so she we set up a day she flew out here from north carolina to massachusetts i spent the whole day with her and tyler and of course, Tyler's a pseudonym for somebody in the book. Um, and so uh, we spent the day together. She interviewed me. She asked me a bunch of different things. Um, I spoke with Tyler, um, asked him a couple things that um, I had no idea that she was bringing this other person with her. Um, and uh, later on down the road was astounded to find out who this person was that I just sat and ate dinner with because she told me the same thing. I can't give you his name, but we're going to call him Tyler. And so um, he expressed interest in my graphic design work that he had seen online that some of the stuff that I had done and he said hey you know maybe it's possible that you could do some work for me down the road with one of my companies and I said sure that'd be great you know and he handed me his cell phone and when he did his real name was at the top of the cell phone I don't know if he did it on purpose because he would have known that I would know who he was at that moment, at that very moment. So I put my number into his phone, handed it back to him. I didn't get halfway home from that meeting when I pulled the car over, pulled up Google, and started to try to find information on this person. Needless to say, there is not much information on him online. Doesn't do social media. Um, but when I found out who this person was, I was just, I was stunned. I was like, I can't believe I just ate dinner with this person. And, and their like credentials are astounding. And um, so Diana went back, she wrote the book. She sent me a draft of my chapter um, to see if there was anything in there I wanted to change. Uh, there was one little change that we made and that was it. The book went to press and, um, you know, uh, to, to this day, I'm pretty sure that Oxford press has never put out a book on UFOs. 
Um, they're a different kind of publishing house, usually like uh, academic books and things. And I believe that that's the very first book they ever put out on the subject. So quite interesting. But yeah, Diana's, Diana's a great lady and uh, smart as a whip. She's a smart woman. I, I don't know a lot of the controversy behind it, but there I've seen people attack her online as well. And I, I just don't understand that, you know, she put forth a serious effort, did some, some very detailed research and investigative study on this topic to bring it to light. She puts some of her own opinions in there, Mm -hmm. which is totally acceptable. And, but people attack her for it. And I don't, I don't get that. There's a, you know, she, so I don't know if you were aware that uh, back, it was a few months back, but she had had her Twitter account hacked and people were posting stuff. Whoever this hacker was, was posting stuff on her Twitter page, uh, posing as her. And she had a friend of her, hers contact her and say, listen, are you posting that stuff on Twitter? And she said, I'm not even on Twitter. I'm at the hospital with my son. Uh, I think he had broken his leg or his ankle or something. And um, so long story short, she found out about it. Nobody ever found out who hacked the account. Um, and of course, there were people who supported her during that time and there were people who ripped her apart and you know she never got hacked and it was her on a drunken binge she's a pill popper you know just the whole troll menu was out there so she called me that next night and we spoke for like an hour and she said she was pretty sure who was doing it and um she's pretty sure that it's certain people high up that are trying to discredit her. Um, They're trying to make it look like, you know, she's just some fool that wrote a book, throwing a wrench in the machine, like always trying to mess it up. Um, And she's pretty sure she knows who it is, who's doing it. Um, You know, the, I, I think that it, um, all revolving around the whole issue of the disclosure and all that stuff, I, I believe, I personally believe, and I posted something on my Twitter page the other day about it, that there is, I believe the government has footage and evidence and images that would astound the average citizen. Um, and the things that we're being given, the little breadcrumbs that they're dropping, like the three clips of the blurry images of, you know, whatever it is, the Tic Tac, um, it's, it, they've, they've always had the same, uh, mode of operation, modus operandi. They've, they've always done this and they like to do it. 
and they'll sit back and they'll watch what happens and they'll throw this stuff out there to confuse and, and, you know, this whole uh, balloon thing with McMillan and uh, Tim and, and the, you know, that it's, and it's still being posted on web pages and they're calling it a cube and it's not even shaped like a cube. Um, you know, and that's nothing against Tim because he's in a phenomenal investigator. He's a great writer. I love his work and I want him to keep doing what he's doing. But the bottom line is for me is imagery is everything. And so if they're touting that as some sort of UFO, then, you know, people just need to step back and just calm down because it's, it's, it's not really of anything. But the evidence that we have today from the government is virtually nil. There's, there's virtually nothing there. And I'll guarantee you somebody is sitting on that stuff somewhere. And they're studying it and they're filming it and they're capturing it and they know it. And they're just, they don't, they don't want people to know what it is. So they're going to confuse. It's what they do. I agree. And uh, I think people just need to be a little more level-headed when approaching this topic. Absolutely. And then the other thing is that really frustrates me is when you see somebody who has a little bit of a reputation, you know, somebody who's well-respected, somebody who's looked at with high regard in the community says something that may be a little bit controversial. And somebody will jump on that person's comment and it doesn't turn into a, a, um, a debate or a, uh, a conversation. It turns into a, a free for all, you know, a bar brawl. And then you get people piling on from both sides of the argument and it just devolves into a, nothing more than a bunch of monkeys trying to get at that one banana that's left, you know, (laughs) I don't don't get that, man. We need cohesiveness. We need, we need to come together as a, as an entire community to really get to the bottom of this and to find the answers. I think part of the problem is, is that ufology has been filled with so many, um, you know, charlatans over the years that it, it makes some people really aggressive, you know, when someone's trying to present evidence and if it's a little bit off or, you know, their, their speculation is, you know, out there, uh, people tend to like jump on it and, you know, kind of criticize and tear it apart. And um, I think that's part of what's been created within ufology and i think that's why that's how whoever these people are who are in charge who hold all this information and you know evidence that i think that's one of their uh end game situations where they they want the people at each other They want them confused. They don't want them to figure any of it out. Um, And 
sometimes it gets pretty ugly. I mean, there, there has been times where I've seen some pretty ugly stuff. Now, again, um, you know, it's sometimes somebody will make a mistake, you know, like, um, uh, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll post something and then they'll realize, oh yeah, that's already been debunked and people will jump all over it and say, it's like, hold on, hold on. And in the old days I would do that. I was, I'd become kind of aggressive sometimes because I had been down that road and, uh, you know, I, I take a more subdued stance now where I try to do it calmly and say, listen, you know, people have already looked at that. They've already shown that to be, you know, that was a, a military flare drop or, you know, those were birds or, um, you know, but like you said, they, they, uh, it, it can get pretty ugly sometimes and people can be pretty damn mean to each other. Yeah. You know, I don't understand that because we're all just looking for the truth. Right. You know? Exactly. We just want answers and you, you don't. That's exactly I, why, that's exactly why I'm in it. You know, why yeah. I've been in it since the beginning is I just want the truth. Yeah. You know, I just want to know what's out there. I want to know what it is. But uh, is there, is there anything else that you would like to say before we close it out? No, I appreciate you having me on and um, I appreciate your, um, your, your level headedness and you, you seem like you, uh, you know, don't buy into any, every chunk of uh, coal that comes down the road. You know, I, I, I appreciate that a lot. Well, I will say in full uh, transparency, I am willing to entertain almost any uh, idea that's out there, whether or not I buy into it or not, I'll sometimes reserve my opinion. And uh, because I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not in the business of trying to discredit or debate uh, anybody. And I think that every person that contributes to this conversation has a little bit of value to it, you know, right. uh, uh, and unless they're just absolutely a crazy person. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I think there are some of those out there, but uh, yes, yeah. right. <laughs> Hopefully I, I don't run into them. Um <laughs> So yeah, Scott. Well, it, it's been a pleasure having you uh, on the on the program. I I do appreciate you spending so much time with me. We actually went a little bit over what I had expected, but uh, it's not unusual when you're talking about this topic because there's so much to talk about. That's for sure. Yeah, it's been an interesting conversation. Uh, so how, how can people get a hold of you? I know, but I want to give listeners an opportunity <laughs> to uh, find out you know a little bit more about you. Well, they can find me on Twitter. Um, they can find me on uh, YouTube. Has got um, uh, the channel. I think is if you just put in Scott Brown, but Brown has an E on the end. Most people don't spell it with an E, but my family has an E on the end. 
And then you can find the group on Facebook if you're really interested or especially if you're somebody out there and you're shooting and you're trying to capture it. I want to talk to you. Cool. So get a hold of me. So with that, Scott, I will. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's been a great conversation. And uh, I'd like to invite you back on in the future if, if you have something that uh, you'd like to mention down the road or if there's a case that comes up that you really find compelling, um, Absolutely. You know, please keep the door open so that we can talk I'd about it. I'd be honored. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Have a good one.